There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. Welcome to the Ringer F1 show. I'm Kevin Clark. Wonderful show today. Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren Racing, joins me from Manhattan, where he was taking part in an event around McLaren's Extreme E-Team. Really interesting talk with him. We discussed the quote-unquote Americanization of F1, of course, discussed Mercedes engines, McLaren's season, their strong bounce back on the weekend in Australia, why that happened. Really interesting discussion that touched on a lot. And then Joya Lebman joins me to do a quick whip around of F1 news and notes on the off week. Basically just a little bit of the gossip that's going around. Mazepin getting his assets seized. Toto Wolff's comments on Michael Massey. Uh, really fun conversation. Uh, that, that kind of gets to some of the stuff going on in F1 here on the off week before Emila. Let's get to Zach. All right, here with Zach Brown, CEO of McLaren Racing. We're at the New York Stock Exchange. You're debuting uh, a new partnership with your Extreme E team. Tell us what you're doing here, Zach. Uh, super excited to be here, and thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, we uh, have a new racing series that we've entered. Uh, it's in its second year. It's called the Extreme E Series, and it is a uh, EV uh, racing series that travels to five locations uh, around the world that have been impacted by uh, climate change uh, in a way to highlight um, the impact of climate change. Uh, it has a, a gender equality um, element to it because it has both a male and female uh, racing driver um, racing on um, equal terms, uh, which is quite exciting. And uh, so McLaren decided to enter that last year. We're one race in, uh, super excited, and we've got great partners. And why are we here today specifically at the New York Stock Exchange is uh, ICE, uh, mm -hmm. the uh, Intercontinental Exchange, which of course own the New York Stock Exchange and Power It are a great partner of ours. So we're, we're here today uh, spreading the word on what we're doing together. 
How do you split your time? Because obviously you were in Long Beach for, for IndyCar the other day. You're here. Obviously, are you going to Imola next? I will be in Imola okay, next. Okay. So how do you, as overseeing so much of what McLaren does, how do you split your time, Zach? Um, it varies. I, you know, I ultimately go to where I think uh, I'm needed and where I can uh, contribute the most. Uh, I'm not responsible for uh, technically running sure. the racing teams. I'm responsible for uh, running the business, uh, getting the right people in place to to run the team, making sure they have the right resources. So uh, my days consist of a lot of media work, uh, a lot of working with our commercial partners, uh, which ultimately lead and kind of managing our brand, sure. uh, which lead to uh, getting the right resources in place to have the right people uh, in place to run our Formula One team, our IndyCar team, our Extreme E team, our eSports team. <clears throat> Those are currently our four racing platforms. And um, just making sure everyone's uh, doing their doing their job. And so I'm flying around the world. I'm probably on the road 260 days a year. Um, I did the first two F1. I skipped Australia to go uh, to IndyCar, which was my second IndyCar race of the year. I did our debut in Extreme E. And uh, as you mentioned, next race on for me is uh, Imola, then Miami, then Spain. Then I go to the Indy 500 instead of Monaco, and the list goes on and on. That's a tough decision, Indy 500 or Monaco. <clears throat> that's that's not an easy decision. Sometimes the, the conflicts are easier to, to work through, but um, I feel like we have a chance at winning uh, Indy this year. We're not quite yet ready to win Monaco, so I'm gonna, <laughs> uh, I, I would regret missing a win at either sure. of those two venues, so I'm going with the odds. Sure. Um, speaking of, of the McLaren F1 team, the P5 and the P6, obviously a huge step in the right direction. What changed? So um, Andreas and Lando both said they thought it was mostly track. I mean, obviously, you guys made some, some changes, but I think Lando put the number at 70, 30, or 80, 20 track. Um, what, what changed from the beginning of the year? Because it was pretty touch and go there a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Bahrain was a, a, a terrible start to the year for us. But we came into Bahrain with some big break issues that the team did a great job of resolving, but it came um, at the cost of performance. Yeah. But, you know, kind of reliability first, you know, as the saying goes, to, to finish first, first you got to finish. So we concentrated on fixing the problem, which the team did a good job doing that. Um, but we weren't competitive. Saudi, we were better. And Australia, we were we were pretty good. And I think there was an element of continuous development in our racing car, uh, learning yeah, because uh, we we lost a lot of learning by being compromised in our uh, test in Bahrain, and then some some track specific element to it. Our car uh, enjoys medium to high speed corners, which is what Australia uh, is. So uh, I think that kind of got the best out of our race car. So um, you know, all race cars have an element of of uh, track specificity. They like some more than others. So hopefully, we can maintain. Uh, where we're at, the team has a rapid uh, development program ahead of it. The regulations, you, know, you mentioned this at the, the press conference a couple of minutes ago, but the regulations are the biggest changes in, in decades. Um, and I think that everybody's learning from week to week, whether that's Mercedes, whether that's Red Bull, whether that's Ferrari, quite frankly, are still learning. Um, what are you learning from week to week just about the regulations and how how different is it from race to race? Because everyone's just still kind of learning what it's all about. Yeah, I think everyone's learning and, and some people you know get it more right at the start uh, than others. You know, Ferrari and Red Bull are a step ahead of the rest sure. of the field. Um, you know, Mercedes is not nearly as competitive as they've been the last, you know, seven, eight, eight years. But what'll happen is everyone will start to figure it out because we do look at each other's cars and and have a lot of access to data. So I think what you'll see is a closing 
of the field. I think uh, Ferrari and Red Bull uh, should be the two battling it out. I don't think any, I don't see anyone leapfrogging them. But over the course of the year, the field will get closer, and I think what that means is some awesome racing for the fans ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the, the amount of parity there should be going forward is, is going to be fascinating. Um, were you worried, just seeing the data and seeing the numbers, you mentioned Mercedes. Were you worried about the Mercedes engines? Uh, yeah. Um, you, you know, we they've had the most dominant engine the last seven, eight years, and, and there's been a, uh, a fuel change. We're now running uh, E10 uh, fuel, and uh, I think Mercedes still has some some work to do. They, they know that. It's, uh, it's been, been the best engine. Uh, they've got a great team there to, to develop, but just like the racing cars, when you have uh, something that's changed, some people figure it out quicker than others, but they do catch up. But I, I think, yeah, I think we were all a bit surprised that um, we didn't have uh, the dominant engine, sure. um, but no doubt they'll uh, they'll get there. But uh, we, we as a team have a lot of room for improvement, but we also uh, need, need uh, the team back at uh, Bricksworth where they built sure. their engines uh, to um, continue to, to, to get formants out of that. But no doubt they will. Something specific? Uh, lots of little detail, but, um, you know, they're, they're the, uh, they're the engine experts. So we've got a, a high degree of, uh, confidence that they, uh, they of course know what they're doing and that they'll get on top of it. And, uh, we should see improvement from the power units over the course of the year as well. I want to talk about the Americanization of F1. And I put that in quotes because in 1981, I think there were three Grand Prix in, uh, in America. There've been driver's champions who've been American Phil Hill. Um, there've been Americans in cars. Um, and we've seen that, you know, you have become kind of the de facto spokesperson for this because you're the CEO and you grew up, you know, going to Riverside and, you know, your first race, I think was, was in Long Beach, um, when you were a kid. Uh, I, I've, I've read that story. Um, how big can this get here? Because it's so, you know, it's in, it's not, it's the heartbeat and, and the crown jewel is always going to be the summer in Europe. But this this seems real and it's it seems sustainable. Um, how big can it get here? Yeah, I agree. I think it's very real and it's very sustainable, and it's it's great to see. Uh, you know, Formula One is the largest annual sporting event in the world, yeah. and uh, that's been uh, its place for for many years without it being big in America. Now that it's really big in America and getting stronger and stronger, I think Formula One has never been uh, healthier. We have a full grid of of ten teams, all of which are are owned by very significant individuals or corporations. You're seeing a lot of new partners come into the sport. We most recently announced Google, who's one of the greatest brands in, in the world. So the sport is attracting the the Googles uh, of the world. Um, the fan base is getting younger, getting more diverse. Netflix has been amazing uh, for the sport. And now we've got three Grand Prix. We haven't even had our second one yet. <laughs> and the demand for Miami, I've never seen anything like it. I think the demand for Vegas will be uh, equally as huge. And Austin has been uh, unbelievable. It's the largest attended Formula One event yeah. last year. So not only do we have three events here, We've got three massive events, and then our neighbors, you know, in in yep. Mexico and and Montreal, uh, Montreal. Yep. great great venues. So America's is a big big role in Formula One now, and it's just great to see the fans uh, responding. I checked the hotel rates for Montreal the other day, and we gotta we gotta clear that with Spotify. It's it's uh, <laughs> yeah. it's the the, it, the boom uh, is not helping the, everybody. The, the, it's it's unbelievable. I mean, we we had almost uh, double the ticket yeah. requests from our partners from Miami than than 
than we had. And we've got the largest suite there. Um, so uh, the demand is off the charts. It's going to be an unbelievably crazy uh, week, but I'm looking forward to it. I covered the NFL primarily, and I was in Palm Beach at the owners' meetings a couple weeks ago. And the, a handful of owners, coaches, GMs came up to me, and they just said, and they knew I was doing this. And they were just like, what is Formula One? My kids are into it, or we want to go, or everybody's, you know, NFL, some, some NFL executives are going to Miami just to see what it's all about. It's really reverberated throughout American sports, I'd say. And part of that, and actually probably the bulk of that is Netflix. And and you guys mentioned that a couple minutes ago at the um at the uh, the press conference. Is there a push and pull with you guys with access and making the sport more popular, but also from a competitive standpoint, it's not the most amazing thing to have these cameras in there and detailing some of that stuff. How do you view the Netflix thing from a competitive standpoint going forward? Well, because they show it a, a year later, I think we're 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 safe. So if they do uh, <laughs> capture, show some of our secrets. Uh, it's old news uh, from from a racing standpoint because sure. we're we're living in the moment and thinking about uh, tomorrow. So um, you know, Liberty, who who acquired the sport, uh, you know, five years ago now, have done an awesome job. I think they've. Uh, the sport had been quite closed door, uh, you know, look, don't touch. And, and Liberty came in led by Chase Carey at the time, now being run by Stefano Domenicali, who's doing a great job mm -hmm. and have really turned the sport into what sport is, which sure. at the end of the day, it's entertainment. And um, I think Formula One, uh, while massively entertaining, we, we were a pretty closed shop. So uh, that that mind shift has has changed, and I think we all welcome uh, Netflix and uh, and more uh, media outlets to cover our great sport. Were you okay, or are you when it's you know portrayed as Lando versus Daniel or something like that? Do you kind of go a little bit, or are you saying you know, that's kind of the tax you pay for this show, the popularity, and just and just the the theme of the show? Yeah, I, I think you know we got to look at what have they done for our sport? And it's been amazing. So I think part of the challenge is some of us in the industry uh, were, were maybe overly critical because we want it to be, you know, everything we do is 100% accuracy. You know, 85% of what they capture is exactly what happens. And then like any TV show, you know, they're going to spice it up that last 10%. But, um, you know, Lando and Daniel are very competitive with each other. Yeah. They may not um, convey it in the way that Netflix kind of brought some drama to it. But don't think for a second that Lando and Daniel, the first times they want to see is what have their teammates done. Same thing with Carlos Sainz, while they had a very um, a, a strong relationship and they portrayed it as competitive. It is competitive. Yeah. So, um you know, I'm I'm okay with that because I think, you know, what's the objective of the show is to draw fans into the sport, and they've done that in spades. With the American, again, the, the growth in America, an American driver is probably next. Um, is that Colton Herta? Is that something that you, you know, obviously you guys are extremely happy with with what you have um, with Daniel and Lando, but what's the next step for American drivers? What does What do you think the, kind of the pipeline looks like with American drivers? Do they want to, you know, the story about Jeff Gordon, you know, doing the, doing the test 20 years ago, is it kind of fresh in everybody's mind when he was the best American driver? Um, Kevin Harvick a couple of days ago, I don't know if you saw this, said that, you know, his son does karting and, and nobody wants to be in the M&M's car. They want to be in the Red Bull car and McLaren and the Ferrari and just changing and California or Indiana or whatever it is. What is what what is the near term future for a, an American driver in F1? I think there's a couple drivers out there now that are, are 
capable of driving yeah. Formula One cars. Uh, Colton Herta, who yeah. we just signed to a, a testing contract. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, you know, uh, IndyCar champion, is an awesome driver. Uh, Alex Rossi, who was once in Formula mm -hmm. One, uh, is an awesome driver. So I think you've got you know, three drivers there. I hope I'm not missing anyone that are uh, <laughs> uh, American that are, you know, winning races in, in IndyCar. And if you're winning races in IndyCar, uh, you're a damn good racing driver. Uh, beyond that, you, you need uh, younger drivers coming through the system. We actually happen to have one who's yeah. uh, just turned 15, uh, Hugo, who's running over in, in Europe. Uh, he's Nigerian-American. Um, he'd be quite the sensation, a European karting champion. So it's all about getting the, the drivers young in the system. There's plenty of talent. I don't think the uh, the water you drink is anywhere different around the world. It's about focus and, and opportunity. And I think a Formula One driver from America, uh, a race-winning one, I think that's what's important is uh, needs to be one that's winning races not just yeah, in course. the race of course um would be awesome uh two more for you how have you guys been able to capitalize on the american influence? i mean we, we you know um ice just said that drive to survive was their kind of entry point into understanding what mclaren was always always about when you're growing in america now and you're whether that's sponsorships whether that's just bringing guys over for media hits whatever it is uh what does that that kind of roadmap look like for you zach yeah i think um you know a lot of our partners are from the States. Yep. You know, I just mentioned Google and Cisco and Coca-Cola and Dell and ICE, you know, so the list kind of goes on. I, I would say are uh, probably half our Formula One partners are U.S.-based yep. companies. Um, that wouldn't have been the case five years ago. Uh, and our fan base, you know, our, our biggest fan base is the U.K. is what you'd expect. Our second biggest fan base is America, and it's growing rapidly. So, um the more and our automotive business yep. is very big in in North America, also one of our biggest biggest markets. So, uh, one of the reasons why we came did IndyCar was we wanted to, no matter where Formula One was and is in America, we want to be that much more popular. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons that drove us to get involved in IndyCar. So, uh, our footprint's l large here, our fan base is large here, and um, I think it's all about like in motor racing incremental gains just keep bringing on the partners keep growing the fan base keep racing here and, and keep uh keep showing our stuff last question for you um i keep checking to see the latest on the talks with, with audi and it seems like there's 500 different updates saying 500 different things even in the last couple of days um what are the latest with that and what can you share with us Oh, there's there's nothing new. I know it uh, is getting reported quite a quite a bit, um, but there's no new news, so it's kind of old news uh, from from what I'm reading. Yeah, uh, you know, our, our view is we're very happy with Mercedes. We we have a plan. Uh, we don't even know yet if Audi's definitively coming into the sport. Yep. So our our view is, you know, if you're coming into the sport. Of course, we don't have anything yet in place for the new, next era of Formula One, and we'll talk to to everybody and anybody to see what their uh, goals and objectives are, and if whether those align with ours. But there's uh, there's nothing imminent on those conversations, and um, I think uh, you know there's a lot of repeating of the same story. I've noticed <laughs> googling it this morning. Zach Brown, thank you so much. Looking forward to seeing uh, McLaren and Extreme E. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. 
Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. This episode is brought to you by ArmorAll. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use ArmorAll to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, ArmorAll, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to ArmorAll's website after you buy. Visit ArmorAll.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. ArmorAll, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, new segment. F1 gossip. What are we calling this, Julia Lebman? I don't know the rumor mill, but I don't. Rumor I don't, mill. I don't know. It that's, needs to be a car pun. Yeah, or like a paddock, like joke or something like heard around the paddock or like I don't know. We're, we'll workshop it, but well, this we're is a, bree- we're we're gonna breeze through these things, so we could do like a speed thing. We could just call it like fast car. The sprint. Well, the gossip sprint. The sprint. Face fast car. I mean, we all love Tracy Chapman here. We do. That's great. A great point. I'm just point. assuming. I'm just assuming you love Tracy Chapman. I like that song a lot. Yeah, I, I like a lot of a lot of her songs. When I was like 16, like her music like really spoke to me at camp. You know, it's just like really emotional. <laughs> I hear you. Um, all right, so we're gonna go through <laughs> a handful of. It's the off week. We're a couple days removed from the race, the Australian GP. Um, we're gonna go through a couple of newsy items and just get our quick takes on it. We will start with something that has. Nothing to do with the current grid, uh, but is fun to talk about is the wrong way to say it, but we will enjoy this. Um, Mazepin, the Mazepins have fallen on hard times. Italy has seized properties worth almost 90 million euros belonging to Russian Formula One driver Nikita Mazepin and his oligarch father. Um, This is probably the natural conclusion of what we saw the last couple of weeks. Obviously, a lot of Russian oligarchs are getting their assets seized. Mazepin was thrown out of the Haas team. Um, They are basically done in car racing, high-level car racing. Mazepin blamed cancel culture, which is, I guess, (laughs) something that you can do now. Um, Let's read the quote because it's outrageous. This is what he said to He said this to the BBC. I don't agree with being in the sanctions. I've said previously that I intend to fight it. Perhaps now is not the right time because if you look at the whole situation that's happening against athletes and in the general case, it's cancel culture against my country. Um, I do think that... um, I I don't want to get too political, but I believe that Putin gave a speech also citing cancel culture as it relates to the sanctions against Russia. However... This is actively not cancel culture. This is a war and mm-hmm. a strategy. Financial so, penalties. 
Yes. It's a fin- yeah. it's financial war. And um, I don't know that Mazepin knows the definition of cancel culture if he's citing it here. But I also yeah. just want to note their home in Sardinia looked really nice. So it's known as Rocky Ram. I'm not sure uh, what that is. It, their, their home did look really good. So let's give a lot of the assets and the cash from it to Ukrainian causes. That's the point here, right? But also, there's some folks in F1 who need investment. We should give some of this, some of this cash goes right to Haas and Gunther Steiner. So like after he goes hiking in Italy, he can just go straight to uh, Rocky Ram? That's right. That's right. Uh, They seem to have some putting greens on the roof of Rocky Ram. It's really a resplendent home, I have to say. Um, the landscaping itself must have been very expensive. Also, I'd like to know if that's grass or turf on the roof of their home. Former home. F- former home. It's Gunther's house now, baby. Um, I, uh, I don't know. We would have to ask. I mean, the Mazepins are probably available to come on podcasts and tell us about cancel culture mm-hmm. and whether or not it's grass or turf. Oh, well, um, Sp- Spotify suspended service in, in Russia. So I think we're participating. Is that true? Yeah. We're well, they're not in Russia. They're in I know, but we're Sardinia part- and England. Yes, but the has reason, sort of a British accent. Um, sort of, but um, his father, Dmitry, was cited as one of the closest advisors to Putin. So I think it's a right. no-go for podcasts. Crucially, as we learned from Drive to Survive, uh, the, the Haas team did not brand him an oligarch. You know, I think I look back on that episode as, um, I don't want to say prescient, but I, you know, when I, when I watched it, the conflict in Ukraine was already happening. And I was like, wow, drive to survive is really going to be on the right side of history here. And I, I do think it's like kind of remarkable. It really did like set the stage for what ended up happening with the Mazapans. And it gave Mm -hmm. so much more texture to, you know, I think the otherwise maybe slightly more tortured decision in, in Formula One to get rid of them. Like, I think no one liked them. And Formula One is, if, is like, you know, all literally all about money So in driving. So I think in other cases, it might have been more difficult. But in any case, their home has been seized. Isn't Haas doing so well after, and last week was a little bit of a step back, but doing so well post-Mazepin. There's some Ewing theory potential there. But totally. that's just like one of the stories of the season for me. It's just, oh like, God, I think everybody sure. was so worried about what the future looked like without the Mazepin money, whether or not the Mazepins were just going to buy out the entire team going forward. And now for them not only to be financially viable, but actually competing for points, like this is amazing. It's also really good for F1 for two reasons. First of all, everyone loves K-Mag, so that's nice. Sure. But it's also like really good for the sport for Mick Schumacher to actually seem like a serviceable driver. Like, you know, for him to be in the middle, like close, close to points versus always like 19th is definitely good for the sport in general. I agree. All right. Next story. Total Wolf says former race director Massey was a liability to F1 and disrespectful. So there's a lot here. Um, obviously, we've had the last couple of weeks have been a number of sort of retrospective. Um, there's been a report uh, from the FIA that said human error played a role in the last race of the season that gave the title to Max Verstappen. Toto Wolf's quotes, still unhappy, his quotes were, he was just immune to any feedback, and even today he has not properly reflected that he did something wrong. You hear from the drivers and how the drivers' briefings were conducted by Masi, and some of the guys said it was almost disrespectful how he's treated some of them. 
there is a promoter of one of the races in the Middle East who said he was so relieved he had gone because he had got so much abuse from him. First of all, that's a tough one. That's also like when you say promoter of one of the races in the Middle East, you're really kind of outing your source there, bud. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's uh, let's let's sort of get to this. We we already knew that this was there was some bad blood with that 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 had been that had been at the surface. That's not a surprise. But these sort of point of pointed quotes after the race, after Michael Massey had been removed from his post and moved elsewhere in in Formula One, does this surprise you? I guess a little bit. I think I know a lot of people have noted this so far this season, but like Toto in in the aftermath of the Abu Dhabi fiasco has gotten like even more direct and just like to the point this season. And so I feel like he's just sort of like, fuck it. We've got nothing left to lose. Um, I also was wondering how much of Toto's public demeanor is a game to keep Lewis happy and yes. Lewis engaged and like if is he taking those shots to to like kind of do Lewis's bidding because you know Lewis would never I mean he's like publicly the nicest person in fact I found it jarring to hear him say on the radio this past weekend you guys have put me in a really difficult spot or difficult position because that's like so unlike the Lewis who's thanking the men and the women back at the factory at the end of every race so um I think this is like so, like kind of um strategy from Toto mm-hmm. like I, I think it's both true but you know he also made a really good point, which, you know, I care a lot about celebrity. He was saying like, Michael Massey shouldn't be famous. Like the race director should not be a famous person. And I thought that that was like a legit point. That's also, again, like that's bad for the sport. And like when they're on this new global stage, it's important to really put your best foot forward. Um, I would love to know like what constructive feedback Toto gave and that, that Michael Massey didn't adopt because (laughs) if Toto gave me any feedback, I would feel compelled to do everything he said to down to the letter. Sure. Sure. So let's expand on that for a second. Um, he said that Toto said he had lunch with him on the Wednesday before the race is obviously in Abu Dhabi. I said to him, I really want to tell you without patronizing you that you need to take criticism on board and develop from there. Lewis does it every day, but you are a guy who always seems to know better. It wasn't about influencing him. This is him uh, talking again. It wasn't about influencing him, but really giving my honest feedback that he shouldn't block outside opinion as simply being wrong. So what he wanted was Michael Massey to say, hey, have some reflection. Be a reflective Michael Massey. I mean, it's pretty hard in the moment to do that, I will say, to defend Michael Massey a little bit. Like, he has to just, like, make these judgments. I think it's been good so far that they have kind of pulled back the amount that the race director should be getting involved like, through three races so far. I mean, I, I don't think there's been, like, any moments where, like, wow, we really needed the race director to weigh in right away. Um, but I, I, I actually kind of related to this. What did you think about the uh, the rule change where Max can no longer Hector the leader when coming out of a safety car? I think that is so important. And I wonder if in F1, as we do in American sports, we will call this the Max Verstappen rule. Yeah, they're saying that on the That's something broadcast. we do. Yeah, in, in America, we, we, we do that. The person who who led to the rule change that should be named after it. So even in 50 years when we're watching F1, when we're on the 55th uh, episode, uh, season of Drive to Survive, I, I want to have the Max Verstappen rule uh, as 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 why that's happening. Um, I think it's important, but it gets so annoying seeing him out there. I know, and it. I, I, I I'm happy about this. I am too. I mean, I just like I hate Max. I'll be I'll be upfront about that. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy about it as well. We have um. So I I'm actually quite neutral on Max, relatively speaking. 
everybody thinks this is an ant. This has become an anti-Max podcast, which I don't think it's true. I think that Americans in general are more pro-Lewis. Well, would, and we have a lot of Americans. You know, we have this special relationship with with England. <laughs> Um, so you can start there. And then, but then beyond that, I, I just think that uh, to Americans, Lewis comes across as as more relatable and appealing than Max Verstappen. So I don't think that we're an anti-Max podcast. I just think that we happen to have more Americans on the show than most F1 podcasts. And that will, some pro-Lewis bias will show up through that. Can I ask you, does Max have any friends in the sport? I, I mean, I, I'm surprised at I, how how close he seems to be with Daniel Ricciardo. But they had a lot of tension, didn't they? They did, but now they I mean they like they they're on jets together and stuff. They had mm-hmm. tension in the like the drive to survive kind of way. But I sure. don't think I I don't think that they they hate each other. And that also could be Danny Rick being a great hang and just being I think with it everybody. is. Danny okay. Rick on um on Smartless last year said that like he doesn't really hang out with any of the drivers, like he just hangs out with like his own team. So I think that's Max being a hanger on personally. Oh um, but like, you know, clearly everyone loves signs, right? Like all like everyone's yeah. he's clearly a great hang. And seems like Lando, even though I think he comes off weird, um, has a lot of pals as well. And it seems like even Lewis, like because he just is like so courteous, like people are seem okay with him, even though he's the best uh, or, you know, blocked many people from winning for many years. I just feel like Max just seems like he sucks. So whatever. I am anti-Max. This podcast is, it a is not good, what wait, I am. Can, wait, can I, let me ask you one question further. Is it a good or a bad thing to have lots of friends on the grid? Because isn't it like, don't you want friends outside of work? Sure. Yeah. But I, I mean, these guys are together so frequently. So yeah, there's a lot of people fun? you can be friends with. You can be friends with race engineers from other teams. Sure. You don't just have to be friends with the 20 drivers. Yeah, I understand. What if, what if, what if all of Sebastian, what, excuse me, what if all of Max's friends are just like the, the mechanics from Haas? I highly doubt that because he's so rude <laughs> to the people no. who work on the teams. <laughs> he's just driven. Okay, fine. Carry on. All right. Speaking of Max, our next story is about Max Verstappen, and it's that he has a Sebastian Vettel-like Red Bull escape clause. So Helmut Marco confirmed that Max Verstappen has an exit clause in his new Formula One contract. Um, of course, the quote goes, if we experience a crash like in 2014, talking about Red Bull, when we have absolutely no chance against Mercedes on the engine side, then it's clear there is an escape clause. So he's being paid a lot of money. Reports are maybe even $50 million, probably close to it. He deserves that for, for uh, the talent that he's shown and Agreed. the talent that he continues to Unfortunately, show. Unfortunately, I agree. Do you think there's ever a scenario in which he will, he will exercise this clause, Juliet? Definitely. I definitely think there Ooh. is. I, I mean, I don't know if it's this year. I, I think some of the reliability issues seems like seem like they could probably be fixed. Um I wonder, you know, I think you guys were talking about this on the the post race uh, chat on Sunday. Like, would you rather play, be playing whack a mole with the Red Bull car or searching for answers with the Mercedes car? And so, you know, I do think that Red Bull has a chance to kind of get back into it and everything. Um, but I could I could still see this happening. I mean, there's also like just constantly new regulations and um, other cars seem to be figuring stuff out too. So I don't know. I could I could see it happening. Okay, so Vettel exercised this clause in 2014, as Marco alluded to, and he switched to Ferrari. Mm-hmm. My thought on this is, first of all, he, that was, in retrospect, maybe even a bad move. He didn't win a world title in Ferrari. Obviously, he won world titles in Red Bull. I think that career management is so important 
in F1. And that's why Fernando Alonso is, we all know he's an amazing driver. Um, but if you're tuning in, in, in 2022 and you look at Fernando Alonso's career and you see two world driver championships, what, 15 years ago, maybe even more, um, I forget what year it is. Um, then that's, that seems to be probably an underachievement, uh, by, by virtue of just how quick he is. And I think that Max probably knows that over, let's say, a 15-year career, Red Bull is going to have a first or second best car more times than not. So mm-hmm. I think he's probably going to understand the loyalty that they showed him, where as soon as he showed any talent, he was pretty much deemed the number one driver. I don't think he would go anywhere else. And I think that if he switched to a Ferrari next year, which, by the way, wouldn't happen because they wouldn't want to mess with Leclerc, especially if he wins the title this year, um, or a Mercedes or whatever, I think that, th- that there's just more... There's yeah. more risk there it's, than it's hard to see, betting yeah, on the Red Bull. Hard to see like what destination he could go to because because Ferrari has two young drivers, because Mercedes is investing in George Russell. Like right. you know, there's and uh McLaren's invested in Lando. There's not really a clear destination. And I, I do think that the situation with Daniel Ricardo must be a cautionary tale to like so many people. Um uh, worst case scenario is you bounce around at the end of your career like that, right? Like who doesn't doesn't seem good for him. The Renault years were a real L. Absolutely. I mean, it's tough. Like, he should have been glue guy forever. Yeah. Agreed. But he, he wants he, to be number one. I know. Well, he's not now. <laughs> um, all right. This is from our buddy, Matthew Summerfield. A Ringer F1 show guest. One of our first, our first outside guest. Um, Wonderful. Great guy. Uh, the glowing light that offered clues about Mercedes F1 recovery plan. So he wrote about this on motorsport.com where he writes about the technical parts of, of the races. And he talked about the fact that there's a glowing light on the Mercedes car that a lot of people noticed over the weekend. It's a working sensor that is basically trying to figure out the porpoising issue. The porpoising issue is one of a handful of reasons that Mercedes isn't quick right now, but basically it is bouncing and bouncing and bouncing. Total Wolf admitted there are, quote, some hidden gremlins with the car that needed to be found. And it's especially confusing because, and this is Summerfield writing, because no matter what setup changes were made over the Melbourne weekend, they appeared to have little impact on the problem. Juliet, when is Mercedes going to fix this? I don't know. I think it's going to be incremental. Like, like we've seen over three races. Like, I don't know if there's like just one magic fix because obviously if you can't identify just one issue, I have to assume there's like a, a broader, like systemic problem that they'll probably have yes. to fix. Um, you know, I think it's just, it's really fascinating that the problem is such a mystery that they're willing to add some weight to the car and to Lewis's car at that. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I don't know when they'll fix it. I will say like as an F1 fan, that's one of the things I understand the least. So the light sensor was data gathering and during its free practice runs last weekend, they added ride height sensors within the pods on the floor. So they're messing with a lot of things. They're really like this to me shows probably a good type of desperation. I mean, my only bet here is they have so many smart people. I think they have a thousand employees Mm -hmm. on just the cars that at some point someone's going to figure it out. Unfortunately for them, there are limits on how much you can practice. There are limits on certainly, you know, the wind tunnel time in, in the winter time did not do them all that well. 
And I think that there's, and by the way, they had the least, the second least amount of it because it's done by finish of last year. Um, but at some point, they ran out of clock to fix the problem, and sure. then Ferrari runs away with this thing. Sure. I do think, I mean, this is drastically different than last year, but at the beginning of last season, they had kind of like written off the 2021 season. They're like, we're going to focus on our car for 2022 because they knew the regulations were coming. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that they are capable. But then, obviously, they had a great car in the second half of the season. They they did really well. So I do think that there um, is potential for them to pull it together. And it seems like, you know, because Ferrari is such a distant number one, but the rest of the field is pretty wide open. Like it is shocking that Mercedes is second in the constructors. Um, and so it, you know, I think there's like some possibility. It seems like it'll be really hard to catch Ferrari, but do I think number two is out of the question? No, I'm just disappointed that Lewis probably won't win the world championship just because I want him to break the record. I agree with that. So I have two questions. Number one, do you think part of Toto's sort of acting out on things like Michael Massey and taking these shots is to, I don't know, cover up last year and you know, going to the everybody has a target on their backs thing? Like there's a I think he thought that they were going to dominate this year. They didn't. So now do you think that he's just going to act out and just complain about last year a lot? I think they want to make it clear like there was a huge injustice and basically like it. The more they point out the problems, the more it undercuts and taints Max's victory. And so I think, you know, this sport has proven based on its explosive growth in the last few years of the narratives are really important, especially because I think lay people don't understand so much of the mechanics that go into it that like the, the narratives that are out there are so important to casual fans. And so, yes, I think they will keep on pushing that. Will Lewis win another world title? That was my second question. (sighs) I'm going with yes. I think he won't retire until he wins one more. I agree with that. I agree with that. And then also kind of what I said earlier, I'm betting that Mercedes figures something out in let's say the next three years and yeah. they're there. I agree. So that's, that's sad. Sucks um, for George right. Russell though, by the way, because I feel like he could probably, if they figure out the car, like Russell is a pretty good driver. He probably could figure it out quickly too. And I just feel like they'll prioritize Lewis until he gets his next championship. But anyway, that is correct. Listen, George Russell's doing fine. Okay. George Russell's, racing career he thought was over until he sent an email to Toto Wolf when he was 15 years old. Like <laughs> the good there, the good I, news I, is the bad news is you're racing against Lewis Hamilton. The good yeah. news is you're in a Mercedes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So I think <laughs> George is feeling great. George set the tone last year when he sent the tweet after Abu Dhabi saying Absolutely. Is, what did he say? I loved it. This he's is, a real company man. Yeah, he set, set the tone. He's gonna be he's gonna be a, a glue guy for the next decade for Mercedes, and he's gonna win a world title at some point. Yeah, I I, I hope so for him. Um, but yeah, he he was like right. He was on Front Street right away with his tweet defending his future teammate. He might have uh, been the first tweeter. Yes, I, th- I think he was. It was. I was so upset at the time. Um, I think he tweeted, "This is unacceptable." Ah, good. So it's true. It's true. It's true. Yes. He said, this is um, unacceptable. Max is an absolutely fantastic driver who's had an incredible season and I have nothing but huge respect for him. But what just happened is absolutely unacceptable. I cannot believe what we've just seen. Yeah, George. And Michael, Ma- Michael Massey was warned at lunch to listen. Didn't do it. All right. Uh, last story. F1 expected to return to South Africa. I'm really excited about this. So there has not been an African race since 1993. It's emerged, uh, according to multiple reports, as a priority for F1, obviously along with another American race, which has already been announced in Las Vegas. Um, This 
feels good for the sport. And, and you know, it's funny because in 1982, when there were three American races, which we've talked about at Nazi on this podcast, there was also a race in Africa. Um, and so I think getting back to more of a worldwide thing, again, always going to prioritize summer in Europe. I, I like the fact that they spend their summer in Europe going to the, cr- the crown jewels of the sport. I too would like to prioritize summer in Europe. Like if you can, you should. That's right. As someone you've, when was the last time you went to summer in Europe? You got, are you going this summer? No, uh, I'd love to. I was last there in 2018, but like I watch below deck med. You sh- you should, you should go to the, to Europe in the summer. If you can South of France is fantastic. I think I'm going, I think I'm going to not only the Europe, but exactly where you said. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, this is, this is just, I don't know. There's not much else to say except for this is good for the sport and more geographic, geographic diversity is good for, for formula one. It also probably could mean, you know, it's obviously the barrier to this entry to the sport is incredibly high, but if it's more popular in other places, perhaps it could, uh, have drivers from new places too. question, Kevin. We know that Russia, Sochi is out. What other races would be on the chopping block to make way for um, expansion, including South Africa, and who knows what else they could announce? So I don't think that there's necessarily any races on the chopping block because the buzz has been that they think they can expand to 30, which I think is a lot. Um, and I think at some point you get to to be diminishing returns. But I think that adding... I mean, there, there, I, I think going back to Imola going back and having a Dutch Grand Prix, like that stuff is important to the sport. And I think that, uh, I, I'd be, I mean, is there, is there a natural race where you go, okay, let's, let's get this out of here. Um, you know, maybe they also, want, they also want to go to China, by the way. I mean, Azerbaijan is probably the most, like, I, I don't love that track. Oh my God. And, I, I love it. I love the street okay. rate. I love the architecture around it. It's so cool. Uh, I think the most natural one to get rid of would be Saudi Arabia for a lot of reasons, including the fact that there was a terrorist attack there yes. this year. Well, okay, but that that we've already been on record. I've been on record as saying they probably they shouldn't race there anymore. But I don't think that that's like that's not a racing decision that's going to be made. You know, I understand it's a, bu- it's a business decision. A, I get it. It's a bit right. Like they're either they're either going to press ahead on that because because it's financially viable for them or they're going to realize that the drivers don't want to be there anymore. Um, it's almost a completely different decision than like adding a race because it's good for the sport. Right. But we're just saying like, if you, need, I, I agree 30 is too much. I think it's also too much for the mechanics, like for, for, to quote Lewis, the men and women back in the factory, like that's a really tall order. And it impacts them a lot. As Lando pointed out a lot last year when they were squeezing so many races into a shortened season. Um, do we need a French Grand Prix hmm. plus Monaco? No. Well, Monaco's his own thing, but uh, he probably could do without the French Grand Prix. I don't know. Definitely want to keep Spa. I feel like that's an important one. Oh, just that's that's one of the best. It's one of the biggest. Um, Hungary, Hungaro Ring. I, I like that. I like the name of the track. It's true. It is good. Yeah, I think you could get rid of Hungary. That's a good one. Um. Yeah. Everything else. I mean, there there were some reports a couple years ago that the Mexico City Grand Prix was in peril because of a lack of. Um, government financial support. I don't actually know what ended up happening to that, but I want to keep, I want to keep a race in Mexico City. That's me too. For a lot. Also, I love yeah. Checo and he's so beloved there. I think it like, it would be really Have you been to, to Mexico it. City lately? I like was the there. Last few years? I was there like four months ago. He's on every billboard. He's on every bus too. It's crazy. He's, he's on like, every, he's huge. He's the Walmart spot. He's like a Walmart spokesperson. So he's like everywhere. Yeah. He's so popular. It's crazy. It's pretty cool. I think he seems like a great guy. I completely agree with you. His, his, he's a great podcast guest. 
Like listening to him, he's like a, a top five Formula One. When I listen to like Beyond the Grid and stuff, he's a top five podcast guest on the grid. Maybe we can get him on here. We can listen. We we got Zach Brown. The world is our oyster. Uh, Do it. Anything else, buddy? That's it. Thanks for having me, Kev. Always a blast. Of course. All right. So we'll be back next week with an Imola preview, plus a really, really fun segment um, about folks who are maybe new to some of the teams. It's going to be really fun. Um, Thank you to Erica Cervantes for her production help. Also, thank you to Dan Devine, who gave me a second microphone so that I could talk to Zach Brown with one recorder. That was a huge, huge help. Uh, This has been the Ringer F1 show on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.